Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu new dealer today. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium today in Perth. A little bit of finer weather coming through for us after some very wet and wintry weather. As I said yesterday, the farmers need the rain, but it's nice to have some uh, clear bluish skies over the top of us. Well, what did you make of AFL round 13? What was your moment of the round. Was it the brilliance of Zach Butters in leading Port Adelaide to victory over the Western Bulldogs? Was it Tex Walker's 10-goal romp against West Coast in Adelaide on Saturday afternoon? Probably not if you are an Eagles fan. Was it Shea Bolton's brilliant last quarter against Fremantle in Richmond's 15-point win over the Dockers? 14 disposals and a goal in that quarter alone. That frantic last term. Probably not your highlight if you're a Dockers fan. What about Melbourne's epic win over Collingwood yesterday, a four-pointer over the AFL's top team in a finals-like atmosphere? I'll see you all of that, and I'll raise you one. The moment of round 13 was the standing ovation afforded to the remarkable Neil Danaher as he walked through a player's guard of honour in front of an 83,000-strong crowd after the big freeze. Danaher gave birth to the big freeze as part of his fight against the beast, the insidious disease, motor neuron disease, that is gradually taking the life from him. It got me thinking, thanks to the Isuzu D-Max, I'm going to give you four of my highlights from Neil Danaher's remarkable life, his sporting career, and this incredible fight to raise funds for research into MND. Number one, round 20, 1981, and a 20-year-old Danaher produces a brilliant final term to snatch victory from Carlton in an epic clash at Princess Park. The Blues would go on to win the flag. The Bombers finished fourth. Carlton led by 14 points at three-quarter time and were well in front, well into the last quarter, but Danaher kicked three late goals to snatch a one-point victory. And it's a good one to remind ourselves about because at that point, the young Danaher was regarded as a better player than brother Terry and a more likely captain of the club. Terry would end up being a two-time premiership skipper and a superstar. Neil would end up having four knee reconstructions with his career ending after 82 senior games. Number two, grand final 1993, Carlton are playing Essendon again, and the Blues go into the grand final against Kevin Sheedy's Baby Bombers as the favourite to win the flag over their arch rivals. But Sheedy has a secret weapon that will take the initiative from the Blues and deliver his team the flag. 
Much of Carlton's power stems from their centre square setups, the work of giant ruckman Justin Madden, and the work of brilliant midfielder Greg Williams at his feet. Assistant coach Neil Danaher studies the Blues at stoppages and unlocks the key to their centre square strategies. The Bombers jump the Blues five goals to one in the opening term, and Carlton never recovers from the 30 point quarter time deficit, losing by 44 points. It is the most remarkable and unlikely of Sheedy's four bomber flags. Number three, Melbourne's run in 2000. The Dees had finished third after the home and away rounds, but the 2000 competition was considered as Essendon's. They had a 21-1 record in the home and away rounds. Carlton, at 16-6, were the only team considered a snowflake's chance in hell of beating them. But Danaher torments the Blues again. His young demons roll Carlton in a qualifying final epic at MCG and then they belt North Melbourne in a preliminary final to force their way into the decider. They get beaten and well beaten by the Bombers, but Danaher's performance is the high point of a very good senior coaching career. When the Demons call time on his tenure at the end of 2007 after six finals campaigns, a grand final and a preliminary final, they cut him because that record didn't deliver them a premiership, but it triggers an 11 years final drought and three separate periods of rebuild before the Ds finally reappear as a contender in 2018. I think a lot of people believe that Danaher's senior coaching career was ended prematurely and he had great value to offer not only to Melbourne, but to other clubs who might have benefited from his expertise. And finally, the greatest of them all. Yesterday, a 62-year-old man who cannot speak or lift his arms anymore is given a guard of honour as he leaves the MCG after his brainchild continues to raise money for research into the insidious disease that is killing him, motor neuron disease. Danaher carries himself smiling through the event. He once said, you cannot always choose your circumstances, but you can choose your attitude. He will go down in history as a very good player who injury prevented from becoming great, a great assistant coach who delivered Essendon a premiership, and a very good senior coach who took an honest to good young team within one game of a premiership. But above all, one of the great, great men of our time and an inspiration to all of us. If you didn't have a lump in your throat when the players of the two teams formed a guard of honour as he walked off the MCG yesterday, probably a good idea to check yourself for a pulse. Finally, before we head into the break and introduce our first guest of the day, and that is SEN senior reporter Sam Edmund. We'll talk about a range of things, including Marlon Pickett. I ask you this question. Is the worst behind the West Coast Eagles this year? Was the game against Adelaide the low point of the year before Carlton, uh, before players start to return from injury? The humour's getting pretty dark at the Eagles in 2023. I had a chat to Chairman Paul Fitzpatrick yesterday. He told me how he was eating breakfast at the team's Adelaide Hotel on Saturday morning after Adam Simpson had managed to cobble a team together to face the Crows. CEO Trevor Nisbet walked up to him. Fitzpatrick jokingly asked if any players had been poisoned overnight. Nisbet told him that Jake Waterman was ill and was coming out of the team. 
Barring late catastrophe, and let's face it, there have been a few late catastrophes for the Eagles this year. They expect five players to return to the team immediately after the bye. Tom Barris should be back from a hip flexor. Jeremy McGovern may finally return after his hamstring tendon injury. Liam Duggan will be back from suspension and a leg infection. Waterman should be over the illness that took him out just before the Adelaide game. And Elijah Hewitt should be available again after concussion. Touch wood and cross your fingers, Eagles fans. Maybe the bye will finally trigger a match where the list of ins is significantly longer than the list of unavailable outs. We'll talk to Josh Kennedy about that later in the show today. We'll also touch base with Paul Hazelby about Fremantle's loss to Richmond by 15 points at the weekend. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. After the break, we'll talk to SEN's senior reporter, Sam Edmund, about Marlon Pickett, about Carlton, and about the big freeze yesterday at the MCG. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. has been remanded in custody in Perth. Pickett was arrested yesterday afternoon, less than a day after he played for the Tigers against Freo in Perth in that win. He's been accused of four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of stealing and three counts of criminal damage targeting commercial properties. This all allegedly occurred last December and January. It's interesting the police let him play and didn't question him at the airport. Yeah, they questioned, they questioned him the day after the game and he knew he was going to be questioned at the time of playing the game. Right. He didn't know that he'd be charged at the time of playing the game. Um, he'll face the Perth Magistrates Court early tomorrow afternoon, that'll be today actually, sorry, to apply for bail and he had stayed in Perth to see family and friends so clearly we know his history. There's football ramifications here. He's out of contract at the end of this year but these are serious charges. Mm. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu U dealer today. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio at Optus Stadium, this is Mornings on SENWA with Mark Duffield. Yes, welcome back to the show. If you want to have your say on anything in the show, you can on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. We're going to talk to SEN senior reporter Sam Edmonds soon. We're going to talk to him about Marlon Pickett. But first, we had some technical difficulties at the top of the show. So I'm going to run through my Isuzu D-Max four points about the remarkable Neil Danaher, the highlights of his sporting career and his life. And, uh, He's been an incredible person and great homage paid to him at the MCG yesterday when he walked off the field. So, point one, 
Round one, uh, round 20, 1981, and a 20-year-old Danaher produces a brilliant final term to snatch victory from Carlton in an epic clash at Princess Park. The Blues go on to win the flag that year. The Bombers finish fourth, but Carlton led the Bombers by three goals late in the game at Princess Park. Danaher kicked three late goals to snatch a one-point victory. At that point, Neil Danaher was regarded as a better player than his brother Terry and a more likely captain of the club. Terry would go on to be a two-time premiership skipper and a superstar, and Danaher would end up having four knee reconstructions with his career ending after 82 senior games. Number two, the grand final in 1993. Carlton are playing Essendon again, and the Blues go into the grand final against Kevin Sheedy's Baby Bombers as the favourite to win the flag over their arch rivals. Sheedy has a secret weapon that will steal the initiative from Carlton and deliver his team the flag. Much of Carlton's power stems from their centre square setups and the work of their giant ruckman Justin Madden and the work of brilliant midfielder Greg Williams at his feet. Assistant coach Neil Danaher studies the Blues at stoppages and unlocks the key to their centre square strategies. The Bombers jump the Blues five goals to one in the opening term and Carlton never recovers from the 30-point quarter-time deficit, losing by 44 points. It is the most remarkable and unlikely of Sheedy's four bomber flags. Point three, Melbourne's run in 2000. The Dees had finished third after the home and away rounds, but the 2000 competition was considered as Carlton uh, as Essendon's to lose with a 21-to-1 record in the home and away rounds. Carlton at 16-6 and six is the only team considered a snowflake's chance in hell of beating the Bombers. But Danaher, now the senior coach at Melbourne, torments the Blues again. His young demons roll Carlton in a qualifying final epic at the MCG. Then they belt North Melbourne in a preliminary final to force their way into the decider. They get belted by 10 goals by the Bombers, but Danaher's performance is the high point of a very good senior coaching career. When the Demons called time on his tenure at the end of 2007, he'd got them into six finals campaigns, a grand final and a preliminary final over 10 years. He didn't deliver a premiership, but when they cut him, it triggered an 11 years finals drought and three separate periods of rebuild before the Ds finally reappear as a contender in 2018. The feeling of the football industry several times in the wake of Danaher's departure as Melbourne senior coach is that he had a lot more to offer as a coach. And finally, yesterday, the 62-year-old Danaher, who cannot speak or lift his arms anymore, is given a guard of honour as he leaves the MCG after his brainchild, the Big Freeze, continues to raise money for research into the insidious disease, motor neuron disease. Danaher carries himself smiling through the event. He once said, you cannot always choose your circumstances, but you can choose your attitude. He will go down in history as a very good player who injury prevented from becoming great, a great assistant coach who delivered a premiership to Essendon, a very good senior coach who took an honest to good young team to within one game of a flag. Above all, Danaher has been one of the great, great men of our time and an inspiration to all of us. If you didn't have a lump in your throat when the players of the two teams formed a guard of honour as he walked off the MCG yesterday, probably a good idea to check yourself for a pulse. What do you think? You can send us 
your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. Give us your thoughts on the remarkable career and life of Neil Danaher. Now we're going to talk to Sam Edmund. He's the chief reporter for SEN. I'm going to touch base with him on a number of things, but we're going to start off the top with Marlon Pickett. Sam, welcome to the show. Duff, great to talk to you. Beautifully said too with uh, Neil Danaher. What a great touch it was from the two teams, um, Collingwood and Melbourne, to institute that guard of honour. It was a, a magnificent sight, magnificent tribute yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, before we get to Marlon Pickett, let's, where does the big free sit now in the marquee games that are played in Melbourne through the winter? We've got Anzac Day, we've got Anzac Eve, but the it's built into something remarkable, hasn't it, that, uh, mm-hmm. that Monday King's birthday clash? Uh, more than a game. Uh, but to answer your question, it's coming, and it's coming with a real bullet. I mean, if we're just to talk football for a moment, I think that was the biggest crowd between these two since the semi-final of 1988. So the turnout was massive. And the sea of blue beanies, it's just a magnificent sight, isn't it? And that's just the football. I mean, as we know, everything that goes into it, millions upon millions raised for uh, finding a cure for MND. I think north of 70 million now raised over the course of the, the nine years that the big freeze has been coming. And, and I'm not sure about over there, Duff, but at least in this part of the world on this weekend and the weeks surrounding it, a lot of community clubs now doing it, a lot of suburban and country clubs having their own big freeze fundraisers. So it, it's not just about the AFL anymore. And this is a legacy of the man, Neil Danaher. So coming and coming with a real bullet, and, and so it should, because it's a great thing. And I think represents everything great about society when we can come together for, for a, under the, the umbrella of a common cause. Yeah, it's very strong over here, Sam. I mean, obviously, Neil spent time, he was the inaugural assistant coach to Jared, Jared Neesham at Fremantle, and um, probably their best times under Jared Neesham were when Neil was there as a, as a guide and mentor to him. And he also spent time at West Coast, of course, after the, uh, the cultural scandal that was the, 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 the drug, um, I guess, adult uh, group that delivered the 2006 premiership but then splintered into, um, into disarray and, and Neil was brought in to help repair the culture of the club. So, so he's left a very strong footprint over here as well as what he did um, in Melbourne. Hey, um, Marlon Pickett, should Marlon Pickett play this weekend for Richmond? Look, I can't see how he can play. If you're going to ask me that straight up, I'm I, I really struggling to see how he can play. I, I think... I mean, there's constant conversations with something like this stuff, as you would know, between the AFL and the club involved, in this case, Richmond. And the Tigers have been conscious and uh, said to be doing an an outstanding job of keeping the league abreast of all the information as it comes to hand. I mean, he was in custody Sunday, though. He's in the dock yesterday. And as we sit here this morning with him facing 12 charges and out on that $50,000 surety for bail, I would have thought highly unlikely to play this weekend. Uh, 12 charges, four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of stealing, three counts of criminal justice. The prosecution team didn't even want him released on bail. They argued that uh, it will be alleged that a camper van was hired in his name. It was then driven into state with stolen goods. There's transactions of $6,000 and $9,000 that have been deposited into Marlon Pickett's bank account. And as the magistrate, Erin O'Donnell, did say yesterday, if guilty, more prison time likely for Marlon Pickett. Of course, he's done time before going back for about a decade or more than a decade ago now. Now, Richmond are keen to get on top of this as much as they possibly can. So their CEO, Dr. Brendan Gale, will speak to the media today. That press conference schedule for 1.30pm 
our time. It'll be really interesting to see uh, what the immediate future holds for someone like Marlon Pickett, who, as part of his bail conditions, has to report to a police station over here once uh, once a week. So um, they've said they'll support him. How far will they go with that support in terms of his player availability will be uh, fascinating. But for me, I just cannot see how he could possibly play this weekend and possibly for a period of time thereafter. So to the lay people out there that won't fully understand this, Sam, what will be going on behind the scenes, the discussions between Marlon and Richmond and Richmond and the AFL to determine whether he gets to run out at the weekend? Uh, well, look, to dumb it right down, I mean, these are negotiated outcomes, aren't they? I mean, they're they're done in consultation where it might not be a, a, a screaming headline of Marlon Pickett suspended by the AFL. It might just be that he takes indefinite leave or an absence uh, from the club for time being to deal with what he's dealing with at, at the moment. There's just so much heat in this one. But you have to go back a long time to have to find a player who's uh, been bailed, who would then put his hand up to play football, you know, over a weekend, or at least the player who's been charged. I mean, I think Stephen Milne, I reckon you've... Stand to be corrected here, but you've got to go back to the middle of 2013 when the then St Kilda player was charged with, at the time, was four counts of rape. Now, he remained a listed player, but he took, as I say, an indefinite leave of absence from the club at that time. He did return to play a month later on July 13, and ultimately, those charges did not stand. But we don't have in our competition, as we know, and it does come up every time one of these situations or rare situations that uh, arise here, that we don't have the no-fault stand-down policies that the NRL Institute. And that, that is for all serious criminal offences, all serious charges under that NRL policy. Players are automatically prohibited from playing until their charge is determined by a court. So if that was to apply to Marlon Pickett, we'd be waiting until until August. It, it is a... It's a polarising view, isn't it? Because there is the overlay of innocence until proven guilty, of course. I think history would just say that in these conversations taking place right now and behind the scenes between club and league, that, uh, that there'll be an, an outcome here that both parties ultimately settle upon. So what's the mood at Richmond like at the moment? There's not just uh, the Marlon Pickett thing. Of course, Basha Hooley, their, their much-loved um, premiership star, was involved in a serious um, car accident at the weekend and uh, has suffered a, a fractured pelvis. There's a bit going on at Richmond. No, there is, absolutely. And um, that was very serious to hear. He was off on a, on a camping trip. He was airlifted at the hospital. Shocking car crash there, which is, say, um, serious injuries with a, with a fractured pelvis, among among many other things. And um, that man's forever a part of the history of that football club. You've got Marlon Pickett, of course, and all the seriousness accompanied with that. And then at, at the other side of it all, you've got what is emerging to be a great, another great interim coach story with Andrew McWalter, who has immense buy-in from the players. They look... I think rejuvenated. They might end up playing finals. When he was appointed, Neil Baum spoke very glowingly of his prospects as a senior coach. There are many people prepared to look a fair way into that. We know that Ross Lyon has long held Andrew McWalter as a man as a, 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 what would be a, a legitimate coaching contender and obviously tried to coach, uh, poach him uh, to Moorabbin when he took the reins at St Kilda. So even before he'd had any runs on the board, he was highly regarded. And now you're seeing what he's doing at Richmond. I don't know. I think he's He's looking really good for the role, albeit with, with 10 home and away rounds or whatever it is to come at, uh, at Richmond. So it's a bit of everything at the moment, but never a dull moment at that football club. We've already had a big year, obviously, with the bombshell that Damien Harwick's departure brought. Yeah, no, exactly. They were very impressive against Fremantle here on Saturday night. That was a cracker of a game and a really fierce game. And the Tigers stood up and Shy Bolton stood up when it needed to be win. Out of that, ga- uh, out of that game, Sam... 
Ryan Mansell goes to the tribunal for the hit on uh, James Aish. Justin Longview has said he felt for Mansell that the ball was in dispute. There were seven points in the game. Every ball had a high price on it, and he was basically beelining the ball. And uh, Aish got there fractionally before, and Mansell's shoulders clipped him in the head. How do you think this is going to play out at the tribunal? Now, this is interesting. I think of all the three cases that are going to go up tonight or go up this week, and I'll fold Dan Butler into this and James Sicily into that for their dangerous tackle suspensions of one week and three week, respectively. I think this is the most fascinating one of the lot for the reasons that you mentioned. So is this a bump? Is it a last-second brace? Or was this, as you touched on and Justin Longmuir touched on, just an unfortunate collision between two players making the ball their focus, at least in, in Mansell's case, until the very last split second. So is this Clark and and David McKay up in Cairns or is it something else? I mean, is this an unfortunate collision between two players going for the ball or is the tribunal going to find that Ryan Mansell um, breached his duty of care? Now, I don't have a problem with Michael Christian ticking the boxes because he has to tick them because a player's been obviously seriously concussed that severe impact and a tie. So if you're just running it through the matrix, and Michael Christian's only got the avenues that he's got, but I don't have a problem with it going to the tribunal. We let the tribunal decide. We hear from Ryan Mansell as well and his defence team to what was going through the players' mind in this situation. I, I like the idea of the tribunal sitting down and thrashing it out with, with evidence, and maybe this is the process that, would, that we shouldn't make any apologies for following. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Michael Christian is right to refer it to the tribunal. Let them sit down and pour through this um, frame by frame and examine the evidence from all angles and then they'll come up with an outcome. I think it's in the right place and hopefully there is a good outcome. And I'm kind of on the fence on this one. There is contact to the head from the shoulder, but it was such a split second thing. Um, What do we make of that? Sam, you're a good Carlton boy. What's going on at the Blues? Oh, geez, isn't that just a billion-dollar question at the moment? Uh, not a lot to answer your question. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't think a lot's happening at the moment, Duff. I mean, I think you look at the second quarter where they have the game under their control, two goals, five, the glut of inside 50s, one ground ball, one inside 50s comprehensively on the game, one contest comprehensively on the game. Just cannot take the ball from the inside of stoppage to the outside with the system that all the successful teams are playing at the moment. I include Essendon in that. I even include Hawthorne in that, whose handball game has been eye-catching in recent times. Their system with the ball has been a glaring concern since the first minute of round one. And even in their wins, they just didn't look compelling or or, um, convincing with the ball in hand. They can't kick a score. I mean, they're lucky to break a half-century at the moment, and then you, you throw in their woeful inaccuracy on top of it, and you've got a, a recipe for disaster. So something's broken with the ball, no doubt about that. I'm not sure if the last two rounds of last season, the way it ended for the Blues, instead of being a motivator, might have just been a crippler, the way it's turned out, because they look like a team that's playing tight, that's playing fearful of making a mistake. The, the, the haunting uh, nature of the way last season ended, we might be looking into it too deeply, but is that playing a role? Because they just look like a side at the moment that he's scared to make a mistake, Duff. And um, until that changes, oh, there's probably only one side you could say that they would beat at the moment, you know, 10 times out of 10, and that being uh, the side out your way, the West Coast Eagles. I reckon every other club at the moment would beat them on form. And they're a top four team on the table. I'd argue they're closer to a top 
bottom two team on form. Gee, that's harsh. I'm not sure that they're quite that bad. You know what I reckon? I actually think that Michael needs to step away from getting his best players out there and get his best team out there. And I think his best team means fewer one-paced inside mids. And I know that all those guys, if you lined up the Carlton list and you listed them 1 to 22 in terms of how well they play, there's a few players that would be on that list that I think aren't in Carlton's best team because there are too many one-paced mids. And, yeah. that, and, and, and that, I reckon, contributes to that whole inside-to-outside transition that they're struggling with. But we weren't saying that at the halfway point of last year, and that's not that long ago when their contests were the brutal nature of the way they went about it. They bullied teams on the inside. That was their strength. Forget their weakness. So clearly the method is broken. I'm not, and, yeah, there are players out of form and there are players who are confused clearly, and the way they move the ball at the moment does stand out for all the wrong reasons. But I'm not sure it's a simple matter of... Um, the personnel they've got. Sure, there's selection integrity, and if you're out of form, then you've got to pay the price of that. Maybe that hasn't been happening either. But, um, I mean, for those questioning the list, they weren't questioning it, you know, less than a season ago in the middle point of last year. No, nah, that's a fair point. Pies v Ds, great win by Ds. Does it change your thinking on anything in terms of the season? I think it breathes new life into the race, absolutely. I thought Melbourne's defence was amazing. Their forward line has been and continues to be an issue. Now, for all of Simon Goodwin's claims that they are the highest-scoring team in the competition, I mean, their accuracy, if we come back to that for a moment, has been an issue the last three to four weeks. Personnel-wise, they still seem to be searching for the right pieces in their forward half. But, gee, defensively, I don't think we've seen a team like Collingwood you know, cough the ball up like that and um, been unable to run through sides like that for a long, long time. You probably have to go back to round four, Brisbane at the Gabba, where they really stepped forward to intercept. And we saw that from Melbourne yesterday, didn't we? The way they were able to um, implement, you know, three and a half quarters of fierce pressure because from the 15-minute mark of the first quarter, they dominated this game, Melbourne. Um, and it was only their inaccuracy in front of goal that kept Collingwood in it. And we know what that means. When Collingwood are in the game, as they inevitably are, they're going to come and they're going to ask questions at the death, which they did. But, uh, oh, look, you don't lose any friends if you're Collingwood. You certainly wouldn't be panicking there. And if you're Melbourne, well, then I think you take great heart from the fact that your side will be good enough with both teams with players to come back in. But I was intrigued by the Craig McRae putting the photo up of Brodie Grundy pregame. I, I found that quite... Uh, fascinating, to be honest, to, to put that photo up and tell his players that, um, you know, Brody Grundy's a friend of ours. He's done some great things for our club, which he has done, mind you. But when you're about to go into battle against the man, I thought that was absolutely fascinating, Duff. Yeah, I think uh, to use a cricket analogy, stick to trying to hit the top of off. I think if you introduce any variables to footballers, footballers are incredible athletes. They're incredible instinctive beasts. They don't need... Uh, unnecessary thoughts entering their mind before going going into battle. That was a bit of a strange one. Sam, much appreciated. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. Hopefully we can get you on more often in the future and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. No, it was a big weekend of football and will be a big week. Duff. Great to be with you. Sam Edmund, he's SEN's chief sports reporter, joining us on the show. Uh, what do you think you can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the open line that is 13 12 55. After the break, we'll be back to talk to Paul Hazelby. Of course, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo. It's on SENWA 3 p.m. weekdays. Happy birthday from yesterday to the great man Paul Hazelby as well. Back with him after the break.
big pack around this boundary throw-in. Who's going to get a clear possession out of this? Oh, Hazelby did brilliant. Fantastic work in underneath the ball there from Paul Hazelby in his first year. He's just been fantastic this year. And he certainly is a star of the future. He's already not sort of a star at the moment. Now he's on camera picking up the dangerous Wayne Campbell. That'll be an interesting battle and go a long way to determining the victor in today's contest. Yes, Paul Hazelby had 37 disposals, 10 marks, one goal versus Richmond, round 19, 2000. We'll be back to talk to the great man after the break. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Live your own way in the powerful Isuzu D-Max. Crowd was up and about at three-quarter time. Schultz, hand pass was really good. Brayshaw got it to Aisha, got it to Tracy, who got it now to Jordan Clark. Sighs his way through. Frederick's been quiet. Egan is coming back the other way. Is Grimes. Walters is there. Yes, one of the highlights from Fremantle's 15-point loss to Richmond at Optus Stadium on Saturday night. It was a cracker of a game in the wet. Unfortunately, the Tigers got the bickies in the end. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. And in the studio with me, I've got the great Paul Hazelby. He's one half of the run home with Hayes and Marto on SENWA 3 p.m. weekdays. Hayes. Good well, morning, Duff. How are you, mate? I'm well. Happy birthday for yesterday. Thank you. Again to you. I thought I was 43, and then I found out I was 42, so I'm pretty happy. You get to that sort of point, don't you, in your life where when you have too many birthdays, you don't really always realise what age you're at. Yeah, well, wait till you get to 50. You don't look forward to it. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't have a 50th. I just thought, what's there to celebrate about being 50? <laughs> at 40, everything starts to go wrong. Eyes start to go, yeah. hair starts to go, <laughs> weight normally starts to add on a bit easier. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's start. You were the coach at South Fremantle when Marlon Pickett arrived at the club. Your reaction to the news that he faces these charges? I was devastated on the Sunday night when I heard it. I couldn't believe it, to be honest, given the journey that he's been on of self-discovery to get himself back to a point in his life. Young family, role model, and whenever he speaks, he talks a lot about being a role model for those youngsters that have come through some tough times in their own life that may have been involved in the prison system or whatever. But I just couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it because... You know, the Marlon that I know and love isn't like that. Like, he was one of the most professional blokes to, to train and coach. Um, and you just feel like he, he had everything. The world at his feet, another contract was on the offering for him if he just kept out of trouble. But now it, it makes it really difficult to believe that he's going to play this week and maybe ever play again. What was he like to coach? Fantastic. Always there. Um, very coachable. He still had some issues in his game that he had to work on, but he would get there early. He would do that. He was the ultimate team player. And we still see that trade in him now that he'll play in any position. Hardest thing was trying to find the right position for him because I started him on the wing and he had 27 and three goals on debut. And then after a while, that didn't really work. He went to the ruck. He went to the forward line. Todd Curley put him in the back line, which really worked. And then in the midfield and drafted. But yeah, I sit here today just bemused and, and shout with what's going on and hoping it's all not true. Yeah, well, I guess the court system, that'll play out in that. Do you think that Marlon Pickett can continue to play while this plays out in the court system? Well, we have in the AFL examples of players getting dropped from their club for missing ice baths, for being late to training. Like, this is more significant from, from that point of view that I think Richmond 
have an obligation to actually have an honest discussion with him to to the extent that they can to find out if he if if he indeed he did play a part in this and if they don't like the answer then you know I don't, I, when you're creating culture within a football team and you are suspending players for certain things around football I ha- find it hard to believe that you can allow a player to play when he's gone outside potentially allegedly the legal system yeah, of course, the uh, underlying premise here is innocent until proven guilty, but you're right. There's going to be some tough discussions, I think, b- between club and player and I think between league and club mm. over the next few hours and uh, expect a, an announcement perhaps, perhaps later today as to which way that will go. Richmond is a club that tends to carry itself pretty well, good, strong leadership with Brendan Gale um, as the CEO. So I suspect uh, whatever the call is, it will be a, a very carefully considered call that they make. Let's talk about the game on Saturday night. I thought it was a cracker of a game. And while I'm disappointed that Fremantle lost and it puts a dent in their finals chances, I'm kind of not that discouraged about what I saw. What was your take? Look, a couple of things here. I thought selection was interesting. When you knew the conditions were coming, Michael Walters, if you're over that injury, the calf, and you're good to go, he'd been one of the most informed small forwards in the comp. And when he came onto the field, the lift he gave them, he kicked two goals. I found it a little bit strange that he wasn't in, replaced by Liam Henry, in essence, who, you know, we don't sit here and talk about him as being a great wet weather footballer. He had some pretty good moments, but still got a bit of work to do. Sam Sturt was the other one, and Sturt, he played pretty well on the night, but I just thought sometimes in those conditions you get a chance to pick players that are built for it, and Richmond certainly were that. And I've always had this belief in the West that you know teams from the East handle the wet weather conditions better than teams yep. from here, mm-hmm. because they train in those conditions whether or not there's more Victorian, so they grow up on those muddy ovals and the wet conditions, but they train in it more often than we do here. So when it comes, and that's why coaches in the West should never miss an opportunity in wet weather to actually get out there and train that style. So we didn't handle the conditions well. And I think late in the game when we were coming, we just had too many players that fumbled, dropped marks, particularly those guys around the half-forward line that uh, would love their time again. Switkowski didn't have a great game. Bailey Banfield didn't do much. Michael Frederick, the other one. So I'm probably laying a bit of blame there late in the game. But early in the game, it was all about stoppage and what Richmond were able to do and get their game plan on their terms out the front of the stoppage, run and carry, handball. And that's why you love watching it, because they're an exciting team. And you hear Justin Lomira after the game talk about allowing them goal side. I think a lot of that was from stoppage, that uh, he gave them that in the first half. But what I will say about Justin Lomira, I think he's the best tactical in-game coach in the competition. That when things aren't going well for his team, he finds a way through changing the tactics slightly here and there to actually get the game back on their terms. Mm. And there's not many under his tutelage that they haven't come back in the contest and made a good game of it. You think about the the final last year here against the Western Bulldogs. They're blown off the park early, but he just changes a few things, pulls a few levers, and they got back into that contest without playing great footy and really had a chance to win it. And if not for a decision or two, they could have stolen the game. It's interesting you say that. He's a great believer in contest method. Isn't he? Mm. And he's very good at changing the contest method. That's a big call you make, though. I mean, we watched Ross Lyon coach Fremantle for a long time, and Ross Lyon was brilliant at they looked like they were under the pump, and suddenly Ross would go out there a quarter time, three things would change, and then suddenly the game would change with it. So, But I think Ross probably just had the system that yep. he backed in, you know, from go to woe. This is Ross Lyon coach teams. Yep. Where I think Justin, you know, you can clearly see at times, and, and also coming up against different opposition, what they did against Geelong 
was different against uh, Melbourne when they had the win and the two players behind the ball. So he's able to change that from week to week, but also in-game. Now, with that, there comes a risk. And I used to have a coach called Chris Connolly. And going back to 2006, like, we were really confused because every single week we changed our method depending on who we were playing. So you don't actually you know, become great at your own style because you do change it from time to time. I'm not saying that Justin Longmuir is in that uh, vicinity right now, but it is interesting that he has that ability to do it in-game and change the direction and course of the game. So Henry and Sturt, is it a case of just the wrong conditions or do you have concerns for them in the longer term as uh, viable players? No, I think Sturt was actually pretty good. He had some moments, particularly in the first two two and a half quarters, I thought he was quite significant. And it's hard when you select your team. You've got to select it really on the Thursday night and we get the weather forecasts and the like. And really there was just one big downfall, wasn't there? If that doesn't come in that time span, then I think it's a different story. But, you know, they had the the option. I wonder if Will Brody was available and not injured, whether he may have come in as the next guy in to replace Jager O'Meara. Certainly, Nathan Fife spent a bit of time early. He then spent a fair bit of time forward as well. And when they were getting belted in the first half from contested possession, I looked at that one and they corrected that. And he had an enormous third quarter. Um, Darcy, the absence of Darcy and the fact that Nankervis was a big-bodied ruckman and he made, I guess the best description I could find for it, he made Luke Jackson jump around him. Hmm. put himself in position A, and Jackson was always jumping around him and reaching. You change your, your thoughts on whether Darcy's tradable based on what you saw on the, on the weekend? Not that Jackson was poor, but I thought, he, I thought he lost that battle. Look, my preference is for Darcy to stay. I want to put that out there. I've always said that. I said that I would offer him a three- to four-year deal. I'd just be very careful about giving a five- to six big-money contract offer right now for Sean Darcy because you've got a lot of money tied up in those players. And look around the competition, too, at Ruckman. Like You can find them. You just need opportunity. Go back to Michael Gardner. Leaves. Who comes in? Dean Cox, you know, tall beanpole, just has to play. He plays, becomes one of the all-time greats. We're seeing it a bit with Kieran Briggs at the moment, and we're seeing it with Bailey Williams. Nobody thought Bailey Williams was going to make a good ruck. He's now, you know, working towards the Jackson Territory in that role that he's been quite significant. The jury's still out. Like, I want to I want to see it for another week. You know, hopefully Jack uh, Darcy comes back after that. But what you do see from Jackson is the explosion from mm. stoppage that Nan Curvis yeah. couldn't go f- with him in that part. And he ended up having 24, 25 disposals. He needs to continue to build the contested side of his game in those ruck contests. And there's other ruckmen around like that that aren't great in that area. And that will come, I think, with a bit of maturity and, and a bit more growth and feeling comfortable within his body. But definitely they did miss elements of what Sean Darcy can bring with his stoppage work in those wet conditions to put it to the advantage of his midfielders. And and that really was one of the key pillars of their turnaround in their season was winning contested possession and clearance. And Sean Darcy was critical in some of that. Aish Mansell, what did you make of it? It's a split second one, isn't it? Play on. Play I don't on. think he deserves anything. Like I think yep. people forget how hard this game is. Yep. And what you're asked to do from a coaching perspective, go for the ball, give everything. The game's on the line beeline the ball, and that's what he did. And he he changed his mind, but I would 
question anybody, when you're about to get cleaned up by somebody else, what your reaction may be. Everybody's reaction will be different, but most is to turn your body and protect yourself. And that's what he did. He didn't jump or leave the ground. And it was a split second decision and moment. I just think as an AFL industry, we've got to be better and move past that and get people in there making the decisions that may have actually played a lot of footy and understand how difficult it is to go from contesting to non-contesting. No, that's a pretty good call. I think the tribunal's the right place for it because I think mm. that, you know, Michael Christian sends it there and they, they can pick through it, you know, microscopically and come at a result. But I wouldn't – I certainly wouldn't feel affronted if he walks a free man from the tribunal. What else can he do? I think in any situation of the tribunal or the MRO – what else can that player do? Like the tackle that we saw on the weekend against Blakey, like from Dan Butler. What else can he do in that situation? Do you want to have players not tackle and not chase down, which is a great facet of our game? I think we're just entering into dangerous territory. Um, Nathan O'Driscoll on a wing. It looked like he lost his feet a lot. He looked a bit uh, a bit clodhoppy, I guess. Because. Mm. Is, is he safe in the team, or do you think they would look at a... Like Carl Warner seems to continue to push up and, uh, and press his claims. I think he adds something when he's on, absolutely. But it's about getting that consistency of performance across every single round. And again, how conditioned is he for wet weather footy here in the West? And there were a few, particularly early, that fell over in defence, a lot of defenders. And I still think in this day and age there are a lot of players that wear the different boots. They don't wear the long stops that we used to wear 10 to 15 years ago and they become vulnerable, particularly at Optus Stadium when there becomes a bit of weather around and becomes wet underfoot. I would keep persisting with him, um, whether it's Carl Warner that comes in or whether they give Liam Henry another opportunity in that role. They are options, but I think longer term, he's the one that you need to get fit and firing on all cylinders. A couple of texts coming through from Greg from Les Murdy. Is there not precedent for the AFL to stand down picket for bringing the game into disrepute similar to how it handled Ben Cousins back in 2007? Yep, there is precedent there. It's a case of whether they believe that applies here. I think that's going to be the question. Well, they have it in the NRL, don't they? Whenever there's an issue, it's just a no-fault standout policy, so you're not admitting to anything. Um, Look, he's in a different uh, time in his career too. He's got a different role. He kicked two goals last week, but he didn't play that well on the weekend, and, and maybe the circumstances played a part in that. But he's out of contract. I just don't see... For Richmond, I'm talking about the upside for them. New coach coming in, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they start to head in a little bit of a different direction with some of those players around the age of 30. And another one uh, to Duffin Hayes. It's hard to cop the talk of Henry's added tackling pressure when he turns up in the AFL with the one-armed tackling again. Well, I don't think he's he's brought into the team for his tackling pressure. (laughs) I know that. He's brought in for his speed, his skill level, his ability to play multiple positions. Um, but he has improved it. And I think I whacked him pretty hard last year because I watched late in the year some waffle fixtures and he just didn't have the the intensity and the defensive pressure that was at standard of waffle, let alone at the AFL. But clearly over the last three or four weeks, he's improved that. Justin Longmuir basically alluded to it and coaches give away clues about who they think will come in. When he was asked about Brody and Erasmus coming in, he quickly threw up Liam Henry. Yeah, Liam changed, Henry. Changed the narrative. Surprise, yep. surprise. Later in the week, he's in the team. Yeah, I'd like to see Erasmus in there. I make no secret about that. I yep. think he did enough in the weeks he played to me to, to have stayed in there. Johnson looks good, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Again, he does these things where 95% of players, they get the ball, and there's a, there's, a, there's an option to give a handball. I think it was to Brayshaw. 
And you see this a bit in netball. I see it when I coach that the option gets shut down really quickly. Most players still give the handball because that's their first thought. He's actually mid handball, noticing that it's going to get shut down and then changes direction and, and gives it off to somebody else. It's a remarkable skill to have. Who gets Toby Green? <sighs> Luke Ryan. Yep. If the talls, you know, match up where they don't have to play him on somebody taller, yeah, I think there's an option to do that. I know Himmelberg played in defence. Riccardi was pretty good, took some big marks the other day. But I think you want a player on Toby Green that can match him on the ground but also in the air. Yeah, and a tough player too because yeah. Toby's, you know, for a bloke his size, he's, he's quite physically intimidating, yeah. isn't he? Um, Amy Swatch. He's tracking for mid-40s now. <laughs> Am I missing something here? I can't believe it. That he's, where is he on the lines of betting for the... He, he was number for, seven. Right. So George Wardlaw went past him on the weekend, who's played, what, three games yeah. and, and two good ones. Looks, looks good. George looks Wardlaw. great. But mm. what is the award for? Is it around the whole season or is it about who's going to be the best player going forward? The best performance. The best Melbourne-based teenager. Yeah. How how can you not win it? How can you not win it if you kick 45 goals? That's a good question. And that's what he's – That's what all those judges, and this is the difference between other awards. It's not done weekly. At the end of the year, they're going to have to get together and they're going to have staring at them in the face is a guy who's 19 that's kicked 45 goals and maybe is the key reason that they go into the finals this year and have the resurgence that they do. 45 goals. You can't say no to that. You cannot give him, not give him a five vote. What did Jack, uh, not Jack, Nick Rewalt kick in? 24 or something. In 2000. Jesse Hogan kicked 44. This was the article that I wrote on the weekend. Yeah. Um, Jaden Stevenson kicked 38, I think, across the whole season, including finals. So So Nick Rewalt beat Chris Judd. Yeah. In 2002. And the argument put by the Victorian scribes, who leant heavily towards it, was him, goals. Was, well, no, it was key position. Uh, yep. Much harder to be a good young key position mm. player than a good young midfielder. The year before that, Kaczynski won it. Yeah. I think he only kicked two goals. <laughs> and Max King, he came third recently and he kicked 25 goals. Yeah. The market's wrong. Completely wrong. How is, how is, yeah, anyway. All right. Finally, before I let you go, he's, he's flabbergasted and frustrated, folks. Who wins Fremantle or GWS this weekend? They're going to stick fat with Fremantle. I think they could do it. But I like what GWS are building. They were good again on the weekend challenge. But Fremantle just have to win to keep their season alive. Yep. Agree with you. What do you think, folks, on the temperate bedshed text line? You can have your say. 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. You can hear more of Hayes' views on the run home with Hayes and Mardo, SENWA, 3 p.m. weekdays. Uh, get your ears around that. Hayes, as always, thanks so much for coming in, mate. Thanks, Duff. We'll do it next week. Look forward to talking to you again. Find Pedler. Oh. options left. Oh, no. But then he got his pocket picked by Kelly. Well done, Kelly's a smart player. Kicks up towards the big fella, Marriage. Step one kick. He's had two kicks, and he's got two goals. Well, they'd like that moment again, but I reckon Marriage pretty happy that. But Kelly just showed his class there, Bix. Eagles get another goal, and Marriage is two from two. Yes, a couple of the bright spots from West Coast match against Adelaide on the weekend. There wasn't too many. 122-point losers, of course. After the break, we will talk to Josh Kennedy.
all-time Eagles great and club life member, uh, AFL life member as well, about what went wrong and whether we've seen the worst of it. What do you think? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line, 0487 736 736, or call us on the open line, 13 12 55. We'll get JK's thoughts on it after the news. Falls over Patterson Stadium. The crowd sense the moment. The stutter steps. The big long ball. Number 10. It's a thing of beauty. Oh, here they come too. Even Jono's liking this one. Fantastic effort. It is a great effort. Yes, another bag of 10 for Josh Kennedy, West Coast Eagles legend, AFL life member. He joins us on mornings. Thanks to New Farm Galaxy for flexible broadleaf weed control. Choose New Farm Galaxy. Josh, welcome to the show. How many bags of 10 did you kick in your career? Uh, I was lucky enough to get, I think, twice. I did it twice, and then I kicked 11 months as well, so three times over 10. Oh, well. And Marla, and Marla Carr gave me probably, yeah, at least 15 of those shots. So, yeah, he'll, he'll take the credit for it. He would have been handy to lead to, wouldn't he, Mark Lacrosse? He was, he was one of the best. Well, it's, it's always good to lead to someone when they're always looking for you. So that's the, uh, that's the trick. If they're always looking for you, you know it's going to come there. It makes it a lot easier. Okay, let's get down to the the grim business of analysing West Coast versus Adelaide on the weekend. Was yeah. was that worse than Launceston? Uh, yeah, look, it was. Um, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, and obviously, you know, as a, as a fan sitting on the sideline watching, yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah, it can be quite frustrating. But um, but yeah, Adelaide were, were too good in the end. Um, and yeah, so I suppose you look at the year and that. Uh, consistency. We, we try and ask for effort and uh, intent, but um, it's been quite difficult for West Coast to be able to do that this year. Obviously, with the injuries they've had and the list and the players they're playing, um, you know, with a lot of young players coming in and, and probably not up to speed or up to scratch on on, on how hard the game actually is. And um, yeah, you're able to see yeah Adelaide uh, kind of move the footy in a way where. As a forward, you, you lick your lips, and um, you, know, you know, regardless of you know, even if we had Gov and, and Barras down back uh, this week, I still think it would have been pretty hard for them to stop um, their forward line, you know, and especially you know, Tex Walker who, who kicked ten. Um, but yeah, the the pressure on the ball was wasn't there, and and you know, the cost of their mids in Laird and Dawson, and even Keys gets up and gets the footy a bit. They were able to really dominate that transition of footy and. And as a backman, you know, some, it's, it's very hard to, um, no matter how good a player you are, it is very hard to stop um, when the ball movement's like that. Yeah, I agree with that to a degree, but I reckon if Barris and Gov play, then Elliot Yo starts in the midfield and that changes the, the, the dynamic yeah. of what happened there, didn't it? Because they got absolutely caned out of the middle in that first quarter. And I guess Adam Simpson had to pick his poison knowing both either one was going to kill him. If you put Elliot yeah. Yo in the middle, you end up with a waffle back line. And if you put Elliot Yo in defence and you end up losing the midfield battle, Elliot Yo is still playing on bigger, stronger opponents and uh, and playing to a losing midfield against a strong forward line. It's, it's always dangerous, Josh, isn't it, when a team's absolute strength, which is clearly Adelaide's attack, is pitted against a team's absolute weakness, which is clearly West Coast defence at the moment. 
Yeah, well, obviously you're under man down back, and then the, those decisions have to get made, especially with the caliber that Adelaide have, and you know to to pull Yoey out of the midfield, and um, obviously you know he was the best midfielder last week, and and, and being able to uh, I suppose pull him out and go down on text, you know, um, does make it difficult in in the midfield able to adjust to, to who's in there and, and you know Bailey did get dominated with those hit outs early um, but I think he, he's still showing some positive signs this year and he keeps growing every week and um, I think he played his bit here for the part but being able to adjust in the midfield when you don't have guys like Yoey and, um, and you know obviously TK and, and Boots were still around that area so you still adjust but that, that intent pressure that you need on the footy um, to not have that clean footy come out you know um, Clearances were, were similar. I think they only had seven more, but um, but yeah, the contested side of footy, um, especially in the guts, uh, you know, I think it was 164 to 125, so um, really got dominated in that area, and, and that ball was able to kind of go from inside to out um, really quick, and, and that that helps with Adelaide's you know attacking mode and, and their transition with the footy. Watching Adam Simpson on the TV in the box in the last quarter, and almost looked like he was bordering on getting emotional. Adam's done a great job of being very even and calm, I think, given the carnage unfolding at the club this year. I was I, I was a bit concerned watching him um, in that box in the last quarter. Do you think it's starting to get mm-hmm. to him and, and what can be done to, to, I guess, put the support around him or, or, or what needs to be done to make sure that um, this doesn't uh, take a toll on him? Yeah, well, you know, obviously um, AFL coaching is, is, is a pretty tough gig, um, especially when you're dealing with a lot of things that are probably out of his control, um, you know, from from injuries and who he's able to play. Um, so, you know, he mentioned in that press conference that it, it can be quite draining, but that's what he signed up for. And um, he's pretty resilient, Adam, and um, the way he's always gone about, you know, from playing um, and his coaching ability. So um, he'll keep charging through. And uh, times like this can get frustrating and, and, and trying to make moves or, or change things or, um, you know, motivate the team. You know, that's probably been, that'll probably be the biggest thing at the moment, I think, um, you know, with any coach in this situation is is trying to build belief and it's hard to, you know, you can, you can sell belief um, when there's no evidence and sometimes that gets you through in the short term. But, you know, when you build belief, you need the evidence there and it's been quite hard for West Coast to get that evidence, um, especially with the calibre of players that have been on the track and um, that inconsistency of, of effort and intent, it would be it'd be quite difficult. So um, he's obviously, yeah, he's feeling it, but, you know, he's, he's a pretty resilient bloke and I'm sure that he'll um, he'll pull through and, and the club will be doing everything they can to put things in place to, to help support him in that way. Clearly, clubs support coaches until they can't. I think that's probably the best way to say it. And I think Simo said at his press conference a few weeks back, I'm the coach until I'm not. Are you confident he gets through this and the club sticks fat with him? Yeah, well, you've heard clubs, you know, from the players there um, and I suppose that it comes down to a decision whether um, you know it does take a toll on Adam and, and whether he, he thinks he's not the right man for the job so um, currently as it sits you know uh, he, he will be coaching over the next few years um, due to his contract and uh, Talked in the um, in the press conference, you know, uh, they will be the youngest 
uh, side in a few years. There will be some list changes, obviously, as everyone can see. And, um, you know, in terms of that uh, rebuild and, and transitioning of the list, you know, the club have been supportive in Adam being there and, and Adam's, you know, ready to take it on. So, um, you know, I have no doubt that he'll be he'll be there over the next couple of years building that list and, and getting West Coast back up to, to where they belong. Um, but I suppose in this interim or this, this, this period right now when... He mentions that they are in a pit, you know. Um, you know, it, it's it, it comes down to what toll it does take on you, and as much as he is resilient, but he might um, he might put his hand up and say he's not the man for the job. So it will depend on how Adam's tracking, I suppose, towards the back end of this year. Do you sense he's still okay, or do you think it's it's starting to wear thin? Oh, look, you know, externally, you kind of look at, you know, press conferences and, and the way the boys are playing and certain issues that have been popping up with injuries, you know, um, you know, it, it is easy to say that, you know, he's not tracking too well, but, um, you know, I think he's been in situations like this before, um, you know, in his playing days and then, and also in periods of, you know, coaching for West Coast has been quite successful, but, um, you know, He's a pretty resilient man. I, I think that internally he's he's doing okay, and I think the support that he has from the club and the board, especially when they're um, you know supporting uh, supporting him publicly, that does does help a lot. I think for an AFL coach, so um, you know times are tough, but um, he'll keep pushing through. Ryan Marrick kicks a goal with his first kick in AFL footy. Was it just, yeah, a, just, that? just a smart bit of forwards play, wasn't it? Be in front with a quick kick forward, <laughs> take, takes the mark, kicks the goal. Pretty simple stuff. What, what did you see in him nah. that you liked? No, it was it was it was great for him to you know he couldn't kick three uh, for the game and um, just to have a little bit of presence around and you know. Um, being, you know, he was he's a forward, he's pretty tall, um, having those, you know, positions, putting himself in, whether, you know, it's a front centre or in a contest. Um, and obviously the ball didn't come down that much. So, um, but yeah, it was great to see him kick his first goal. I was, I was pretty excited to see him on the couch watching. So, and to see, I suppose, Luke Shuey get it to him, you know, um, I text Boots after and just said, yeah, it's pretty pumped, you know, because he'll, he'll remember that forever as much as it was a game that, um, you know, a lot will want to forget um, for him coming through the mid-season draft and, you know, being there a week in West in the West and now playing his first AFL game and having his first kick as a first goal, he'll remember that forever. So it's um it's something that's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? He's uh, one minute he's doing peaches and stacking shells, the next minute he's playing waffles. Yeah. And I think the waffle the West, the West Coast waffle team was the fifth team he'd played for this year. The West Coast yeah. AFL team was the sixth team he'd play for this year and he's playing for them the next the next week. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, nah, it is. It's um, these mid-season draft um, kind of stories are always quite amazing. You know, even Jai Cully last year with the you know the fish and chip uh, shop and um, you know certain jobs that um, you know they're doing and just having fun playing their footy and and you know next minute they're uprooted, moved to the west um, on an AFL list and 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 then playing AFL. Um, you know, you talk about a good you know I suppose a month in your life. It would be um, it would be quite hard to sit there and you'd be pinching yourself um, and especially you know Ryan and the way he came in and been able to kick that his first goal and his first kick you know not there is a lot of players that do it but not many uh, that, that get that chance and he was able to do that so you know it's, it's something that he'll remember forever I got the feeling watching Jack Darling on the weekend that he played a week early after the arm issue and possibly a, a, a couple of other issues that he had um, Josh he just mm. he didn't he, he wanted to wrestle and and make a contest without really 
being the Jack Darling that would get involved in the game in a way that might help the Eagles. It looked like he was he would look like he was trying to do a do his bit without really being equipped to do his bit on the day. Yeah, well, you know, Jack's biggest strength can be, you know, his contested work and especially in marking contests and, and how strong he is, um, you know. But uh, the confidence thing coming back from, you know, an arm fracture and um, as much as with them, you can keep your fitness up, you can keep everything going, but, you know, your, your judgment of the footy, the speed of the game, um, things that you can't really train. And obviously with the list, they probably haven't been able to train um, too much of, you know, a, a lot of game scenario type play. So, uh it, it, it would be quite difficult to come back in and whether it's a week early or not, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be good for Jack and um, hopefully he's built a bit more confidence in that arm and, and certain positions he can get himself into to uh, put him in that best position for a, for a contest. Um, but, you know, I've, I've done with, with my leg or, um, you know, even wrist, you know, that is. Looks like we might have lost Josh, the link to Josh there. We'll try and get him back. Uh, in the meantime, a couple of birthday wishes coming through from Roy. Roy wished Paul Hazelby a belated uh, happy birthday for his 42nd yesterday. And also Jack Darling, I believe, who Josh was just talking about when uh, we lost the, the connection to him. He's uh, He has his birthday today. Do we have Josh back, boys? We've got him back. Josh, are you there? I'm there. I could hear you. Oh, you lost me, did you? Yeah, yeah, we couldn't hear you. Uh, um, we'll, what happens when you live up in Jordan? We'll, <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, yeah. Nick Natanui ruled out for the season now. Will we see Nick again? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, um, I suppose, heartbreaking to see, you know, a, a good mate and a player um, that's done so much for this club over, over many years and to see the injuries he's gone through, the resilience he showed and then, um, you know, to to push through that pre-season and then trying to get back and obviously things went well and, and now he's in for surgery now for the year, especially at, um, I suppose, his age and how much footy he's been played the last few years. Yeah, it, it is a big question and um, I assume that, you know, um, it would probably be on Nick on, you know, what that call is. And, um, you know, the club will be sitting there right behind supporting in, in whatever um, he wants to do. And um, it will be conversations between him and the club on, on whether it's the best thing for him to go forward. One, you know, for his body, um, that's probably the big thing. It, 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 I know when I got towards the back end of mine um, in the last few years, you know, it, it does add up the toll on, you know, the injuries that you have and trying to push through and, and the motivation on trying to get up and, and be able to play. Um, it can it can do a bit. And then you've got to start thinking of life after footy. And, you know, Nick's, you know, got a little lady now and there's, there's kids to, to think about, especially when you want to be running around playing chasey with them. You know, that was that was one of my biggest issues is I couldn't play chasey with my kids. So um, those little things in life perspective start to, to come into place. But, you know, um, for Nick, Achilles surgery, it's, it's a big surgery. It'll be interesting to see whether he does come back and, and play a game, uh, one more game for the, for the West Coast Eagles because um, if he doesn't, yeah, he's, he's going to be sadly missed because he's been a fantastic player and, and one that, you know, the West Coast fans will never forget. One thing I didn't understand, Josh, and maybe you can help me understand it, in the situation the club was in with Nick, I would have thought they had to have that scan result before the deadline for the mid-season draft and at least be an informed position as to whether they could have another list spot free. Now, I'm not suggesting that means they have to take mm. the second pick in the draft, but at least be informed and have all the information that they had they could have available to them so they could say, yep, 
we think there's a draftable player when our second pick comes around, or no, we don't think there is. I, I found that strange. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not really too equipped to be talking about list management and stuff like that. That's always been well over my head. But, um, but yeah, it obviously is a talking point in um, coming into a mid-season draft. And, and, and the only way to, to get, you know, picks is from a retirement or a, or a season-ending injury. And, and Nick's came after, obviously, the, the, the draft or that, that timing, um, whatever it is, to, to have that all lodged to be able to get that pick. So um, I'm actually not too sure on the process of how it's gone with Nick and um, from his training to um, you know his repeat scans and where he's at and, and whether something's happened after that lodgement I'm not too sure but um, but yeah you, you can sit there and, and keep talking about it but it is what it is and um, obviously it came out um, you know after the lodgement was uh, was to be made and, and that could have been purely by, by timing so we, we don't know but um, but but yeah, I know Timo's talked about taking another spot just for the sake of it and filling up a waffle side. Um, you know, they're looking more for the future and, and your other drafts are, um, you know, where you get your, your young, um, I suppose, talent um, and then, you know, from free agency, whether they go get involved with that. But that's where they're probably putting a lot more focus on um, rather than your mid-season draft and just topping up, you know, um, you know the waffle side. The word is that they could get five players back after the break, and uh, and they're good players. Uh, obviously, Barris, McGovern are a couple of them. Liam Duggan, you'd expect. Yeah. Um, Elijah Hewitt will be over his concussion, and Jake Waterman yeah. should, should be over his, his illness. Do you feel like the moment against Adelaide was the worst moment, that, that there is upside from here? Uh, well, you know, there's been a few moments this year where um, you could you could class it as, as the worst moment, but, you know, there's always upside. Um, and, you know, going into a break now, um, we got, like you said, then you got five maybe coming back and, and, and guys like, you know, Baraska, Duggan, Waterman. Um, Waterman being laid out didn't really help on the weekend. So um, having those guys come back um, do help with the consistency of, of probably that effort, um, intent, and, um, and what you want um, seen, I suppose, as a fan. So, and, and Elijah Hewitt being young and coming back in and, and hopefully being up to play after that concussion, you know, it's it's good to have numbers coming back, especially after the bye. And uh, heading over to Sydney, I think, for that next game, Sydney and Sydney, which has always been difficult um, for us. And we've always seemed to have it either before the bye or after the bye. And, and sometimes it hasn't been too pleasant. So hopefully having the calibre of those guys come back uh, having a bit more consistency in the training, um, you know, we'll start to see, you know, some improvement in that effort and intent and um, whether, whether they win games or not, um, it's just that, that effort and intent you want to see. And, you know, from what we saw in the Collingwood game, it is there. And they're the positives that you want to take out and the coaches will be, you know, relying on to, to do that. Josh Kenn. Um, yeah, Josh, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. Uh, we're, we're out of time and we need to take a break. Um, no worries. Uh, hopefully there's a good break for them. Hopefully there's no injuries in the waffle this week and hopefully we see a stronger performance uh, from them against the Swans. Thanks, mate. Josh Kennedy, West Coast Eagles legend, AFL life member. He always joins us on Tuesday mornings on the show thanks to New Farm Galaxy. New Farm Galaxy is the flexible tank mix partner to control broadleaf weeds. We'll take a break. And be back with more. Us, issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Their conditioning staff need to have, or their medical staff need to have a look because 
for two or three years, they've been nowhere. They just haven't been able to get access to their best talent. No. That affects your capacity to coach and your and your ability to win. Mm. The other one is is list management full stop. Now, I suppose the, the injury status impacts on your list management as well. So who you've brought in, what you've what you've let go, you know, whether you've got draft picks. There's large elements of a football program that need to come together and there's plenty that are failing for that to happen, not just the senior coach or the coaching yeah. panel. That was Nathan Buckley on the couch talking about Adam Simpson and West Coast last night. What do you think you can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line 13 12 55. We'll get to more of your text after news. Before the game, to the boys, um, you know, just put a photo of him up, and um, I said we were, we were really care for Brody. There's many in the room have got close relationships with him. He's, he had a great contribution to Collingwood Football Club. Um, yeah, you, know, you make tough decisions, list management-wise, to what you think is best for the future. Um, we don't want any wrong, wrong by Brody. We we, um, yeah, we want him to play well and perform well. It's not against us. Craig McRae talking about how they prepared to play against Brody Grundy, of course, in the King's birthday clash. Brody had the last laugh. I think footballers are pretty simple souls. As I said earlier when I was talking to Paul Hazelby, I don't know whether you want to overcomplicate things before you're going out to do battle against a bloke. Just go out and beat him. They're very competitive. They're playing against guys they play juniors with um, that they're friends with off-field. I don't. I think he introduced something he didn't really need to introduce there. That's just my thoughts. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. We're going to get through a lot of your texts in uh, the closing run of the show after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. We're in the run home on uh, the show. I'm not talking about the program. I'm talking about the finishing up of our show. Haters with me in the studio. Paul, what have you got for us? Uh, we'll turn our attention to the text line. Luke's first saying, Duff, love your show, but there has been no rewriting of history, as you asserted yesterday. Uh, I think you might be saying that there has been. Uh, 15 months ago, the CEO of the Fremantle Dockers, Simon Garlic, promised a premiership by 2025 and at least three top four finishes in that time. This statement wasn't withdrawn or retracted at the start of 2023. In fact, Garlic and others doubled down. However, Freo finished 11th in 2021, 5th in 2022, and is unlikely to make the top four in 2023. So, when do the three top four finishes happen by 2025? Luke. Luke, just as you love our show, we love your input to our show. But if you want to call strategic plans promises, then you are rewriting history, mate. That is what they aspire to. Uh, They would have aspired to finishing in the top four this year. But in my conversations with the Fremantle hierarchy, they knew after losing four members of their best 22 from last year and mm. still having a very young list, there was a very real chance that they would plateau this year. Mm. If you want to have Simon Garlic, and it's with a K, by the way, mate. <laughs> not It's not spelt as in the herb. It's spelt G-A-R-L-I-C-K. Um, if you want to have Simon Garlic sacked while he's achieving record memberships and a very good list structure because they fell short of their strategic plan. Mm. Reassess their strategic plan at the end of 2025. And I suspect if they have a grand final appearance uh, or a premiership, you won't be whinging because they didn't finish in the top four this year. Mm. And who knows? They still might. There's still time. 
It's hard to uh, really, uh, you know, pin down Luke's uh, maybe the, the colours he wears uh, and which team he might be back. No, it's fine. He makes it look. The point is, he's trying to hold them to their strategic plan. My point is that strategic plans are aspirational; mm. they're not promises. If you look at Richmond's strategic plan, it didn't plan almost finishing last in 2016, mm. but it was a very. It's almost like the go-to of strategic plans. Yeah. So, yeah, this is what we aspire to. This is what we aim for. This is what our purpose is. It's a difference between we promise we're going to do that. Mm. Guaranteed. Uh, Big L joins us on the text line. Shout out to you, Big L, saying, Duff, when are the Eagles going to address their shortcomings of list management? Nick Martin is playing so well, yet the Eagles didn't rate him. What are the list managers' KPIs? Yeah, it's a good question. Recruiting is an inexact science, and all clubs miss some. I think West Coast's recruiting at the lower draft position, so we're talking about... Um, third, fourth round, other clubs have done better than West Coast. So therefore they're probably underperforming in that area, I think. That's hurt them a bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have hurt West Coast. There's the premature retirement of Brad Shepherd. There's the premature retirement through concussion also of Daniel Venables. There's the uh, the water infraction and then the departure of Junior Rioli on top of the trade decision for Tim Kelly. Someone um, brought up a really good one the other day, actually. Tra- drafting Jared Brander ahead of Oscar Allen created a domino effect. Mm. So Jared Brander gets taken, I think it was pick 13. Now, West Coast view was that they didn't think Jared Brander would be on the table. They okay. thought he would have been gone in the top 10. So mm. they took him to pick 13. Then when they got to pick 21, they couldn't believe that Oscar Allen was still there. Now, let's say they don't pick Jared Brander and they say, Oscar Allen's the local boy. We'll mm. pick him at pick 13. They pick Liam Ryan in that draft, but they might. They also rated Tim Kelly. They might have picked Tim Kelly at pick 21. So yeah. they might have gotten Oscar Allen and Tim Kelly and Liam Ryan. Yeah. And then not had to trade for Tim Kelly, which would have meant... Those future picks. They, they might have been better equipped mm. to draft in those years. So there's little decisions that clubs make that have a domino effect and an on-flow effect that can create a lot of problems. Their big problem is injuries, but I think, as we've said, the the players that get injured are the very young and the very old. Mm. They're more prone to injuries than the other ones because the young ones aren't ready and the old ones are broken. Um, West Coast have a lot of old players and they have a lot of very young players. Mm. So that turns what probably might be a bad run with injury and 12 players on your list into a catastrophic run with injury and 20 players on your injured list, which makes it hard to field teams. Just quickly, a couple of uh, lost in the washes uh, from the weekend and also overnight, but uh, in the waffle, Swan Districts, they haven't been able to hold on late in games and uh, Perth Demons have been having, well, a season similar to what they've been having for the last couple of years, but this is the final passage of play and what happens after the siren to see who wins from the weekend. And once again, did Cameron contribute to that free kick by dropping his knees and his shoulders? Oh, it has it a guess and oh, siren. that he did. Perth find a way to lose in extraordinary circumstances. So Jared Cameron coming in from 30 metres out directly in front. Any score will do. Swan Districts have finally won a close one. Unreal. Courtesy of Channel 7, that one. That is the Swan Districts getting a free kick on the... So- two seconds left. Siren goes. Jared Cameron comes in, kicks the goal, and they win it. 
Yes, and poor old Skeet Redding, one of my closest <laughs> friends and one of the absolute nicest blokes in media and long-suffering supporter is yeah. in the com box when, oh. uh, when it happens. Um, he would yeah. have seen a few over the years, wouldn't he? He would have seen yeah. a few. <laughs> you know, Skeet tells a great story about not going to the 77 grand final oh, yeah. because at that stage Perth were flying. Yeah. And he thought, oh, I'll just go next year. Yeah. You know, be plenty around. Watch another one. Yeah. Oh. I mean, 77 was the last one. Boy. 78, yeah. they got pipped by two points yeah. by uh, East Perth in the wet. Uh, and uh, there hasn't been a lot of joy since. Yeah, Paul. that's tough. And, uh, well, a little bit of joy for myself yesterday. Uh, I did say this about Shubham Gill, and you are wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> and you weren't going to win the game anyway, Shubman. Sorry, but it wasn't there for him to win. And now... He's been fined 15% of his match fee after he took to social media and questioned the decision, as I was saying yesterday. It wasn't just a single social media platform. It was two of them. Should have been two times 15% for 30%. But no, he's been fined, so I definitely feel a little bit... Indication! It's a good feeling. You're up and about, Hita. Oh, <laughs> Oh, take that, Shulman. I, I loved him before that as well, but you've got to take the umpire's decision. Yeah, well, you know... Competitive sports people, they don't like losing. That's true. And they like to think they're right even though they're wrong. That is true. And it was it was great to see his uh, fast bowler, Mo Shami, back him in and say, it's a one-off World Test Championship. We should have been there all day reviewing the footage. Really? I think we spent long enough on it. He caught it cleanly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they, you know, they had the chance yeah. to overturn it. They look at it and... It's a bit like the um, look. It's a bit like the Ethan Hughes one on oh, yeah. Saturday night. It hit the post. Yeah, it did. So they got the right answer. Yeah, but people, oh, well, but was it the process yeah. right? Oh, what happens if it had been called a goal? And if it wouldn't have been, yeah, it hit the post. That's it. Yeah, it clipped the post. I don't think Broad touched it. I think it just hit the post. Yep. So therefore, it was a point. So therefore, they got the right answer. We'll take a break and be back to close up the show after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. We're going to get through a couple more texts before the end of the show. Heater's in the studio with me. He's cooled down from his Shub and Gill rant. I know. What have you got, Heater? I'd still bounce him. Uh, from Roy, <laughs> uh, what's better, Waterman or Allen in the black, in the back line? Simple answer, Roy. Neither. They're both forwards. Yeah. Barris and McGovern in the back line. That would help. Mm, that'd be a massive help. Uh, Lisa from Allenbrook uh, talking about the boots uh, from when Hayes was here, saying Duff and Hayes, I think they should get rid of the fancy boots and bring back the good old-fashioned ones, less injuries and slipping over. Yeah, well, they have the moulded soles. They have better moulded soles than the ones I used to run around with, but uh, <laughs> they sometimes fall over. One thing that's interesting about injuries is that I'm not sure every club insists that players strap their ankles. Okay. Now, it's funny. I played for a country footy club called West Arthur in 1988, Hater. Mm. It was compulsory for everyone to strap their ankles. Wow. Compulsory. Compulsory. Yeah, okay. And AFL players are given a choice. Optional, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I wonder how many players that roll ankles aren't strapped. Yeah. So, you know. All the way back then, it was compulsory. You guys are taking it pretty seriously. Well, it's just the the coach reckoned yeah. better to have a strapped ankle than a rolled ankle. Yeah. And we didn't get many rolled ankles that year. Mm. So, yeah, it's, I, I found it fascinating a couple of years back when I was told by a club, no, we, we leave it up to the player. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether that's still the case now, but if I was 
had any say mm. in this. I would say every player has his ankle strapped. Yeah. Uh, big night at the tribunal. Uh, St Kilda's Dan Butler is up first before Richmond's Ryan Mansell and then also Hawthorne's James Sicily. So three big hearings all back to back tonight. So we plenty to talk about tomorrow morning. Yeah, all interesting cases because Blakey got concussed, Aish got concussed and McCluggage was knocked out. Mm. Um, but they're all a bit different from your run-of-the-mill dangerous tackle and bump. Got to look at the impact. And, of course, uh, Liam Baker is up, but he's accepted his $2,000 sanction for uh, striking Luke Ryan. So that one's all done and dusted. All right. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.